0: It really comes down to how do people see us first? When people say, oh yeah, Jason's an engineer. They don't generally say he's just an engineer. And when people look at me, they don't generally say, oh, she's just a teacher. Because we've made sure that we've positioned ourselves as people that also do real estate or that we do real estate equally as well as what people consider our primary occupations to be. Because that, that's, a, that's a real big deal.
1: It's not the mistake that matters. It's how you deal with it what you learn from it, and how you apply that lesson to your life. Welcome to Multifamily Missteps, where your host Jerome Myers brings on apartment investors from around the country, big and small, to share with you the lessons they wish somebody would have told them. These short episodes are designed to expedite your journey to growing a profitable apartment portfolio without all the mistakes that others have made. We're super excited that you're here. Now, let's jump into the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host, Jerome, and I went down to Texas and wrangled me up somebody to come hang out today. Angel Williams, how are you, madam?
0: I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing?
1: Amazing. She's actually not doing well. She's being kind. She doesn't feel good at all. She's got a pounding headache, but she's still going to come in and share with you folks today. So with that said, I don't know how many podcasts you've done. I know you have your own podcast, but tell the listeners a little bit about you so they understand who we're talking to.
0: For sure. So my husband and I got into multifamily maybe maybe three and a half years ago. Prior to that, we were sitting on the residential side. We've been in residential real estate for, well, for our whole lives. We both grew up in families that invested in real estate. And then we started our own personal journey with our first home purchase in 03. And it became our first rental in 07. So we currently have in the residential side, we've got like five single family homes. Well, we have six, but one of them is my great grandparents' old house and it needs some help. It's not inhabitable. <laughs> and then a quad, some duplexes, and we got into some oil and gas. So we got a little diversified. So we've just kind of been all over the place. We were passive. And then we got our first active side deal across the finish line on December 17th. So of um, 21. So.
1: Wow. So tell
0: <laughs> us a little bit about the big deal. Um so it's a 72 unit. It's about a little less than 15 minutes from our house, which makes it super nice because if if there's any issues, we're right here. And so being super close to the property has been it's been really amazing cuz like when the costeg people showed up last week, we were able to be there. So that was that was really neat to see how he goes through and buckets everything. Because it gives you a different understanding of how cost segregation works. Because everybody, they're like, oh, cost seg, yeah, that's awesome stuff. But to see how it's actually like allocated into the different buckets was, it was it was pretty wild.
1: Nice. So you bought in your own backyard and how'd you find the deal?
0: So that's a funny story too. My husband has an underwriting review company. He has second set of eyes. So he does underwriting review or he'll be your straight underwriter if you need him to be and someone had brought this property to us gosh i want to say it was like march of 21 and jason underwrote it and at that point in time the purchase price that or the purchase price was going to be different it was it was off market then but it was going to be different and he couldn't get the numbers to work out and then i guess it was june it came across my cell phone on one of those blast messages from the broker and at that point in time, I had never talked to a broker or anything. And I was like, you know what? This It's right here in Wichita Falls. I'm just going to call him. And so I just called him. <laughs> and at first, the guy didn't even know I was on the phone because his earbuds were around his neck. <laughs> and so I'm like, hello, hello, I'm like yelling. <laughs> and Finally, he puts his earbuds and he's like, oh, my gosh, I didn't even know anybody was on the phone. And I was like, yeah, so I just got this text message from y'all that y'all, there's these two properties here in town and we're interested in them. And he was like, okay, well, do you want to set up a time to turn? I'm like, well, I think so. I "I guess pencil this in at that time. It's like noon. And I'm thinking Jason can leave his W-2. It's right down the road and meet us there at lunch hour. And I was literally like, well, hey, if I don't call back and cancel it, we'll be there. And (laughs) and so that was how we showed up to it. And
1: we hit it off with
0: the broker and... Like the senior broker on the deal and we actually wound up going four by four and like on our we have a Jeep and he has a um oh gosh, what was it? Not a it's not a Jeep. It was a forerunner. I told you a forerunner. And so we went out off roading, maybe it's between Dallas and Wichita Falls. There's a little town there that has off-roading trails and we met them there and went off roading all day and that was how it worked out. It was wild. Not it was not your average method of doing it and getting a deal with a broker. <laughs>
1: Outstanding. So you make and deep you make the you make the connection and then you deepen the relationship with the broker and you get awarded the deal. Mm -hmm. Were you the only person to bid on it?
0: No. And there were two properties together, or I say there was two together. Same seller, both properties. And so we wanted both. We didn't get awarded the 150, we got awarded the 72. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. And so um, we were a little disappointed with that. But now that I look back on it, I don't think it would have been such a smart move to go that big the first time around. Because raising capital, I don't care what anybody says, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. Yes. And I don't care how many people you know, how many people like you, (laughs) how many people you're surrounded by that have lots of money. People don't just let go of their money.
1: They're not going to give it to you. My favorite joke of the last six months is, hey. You want to leave your kids with me or you want to leave 50K with me? <laughs> That's tough.
0: <tons of. laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's raise it a little bit. What about a hundred? You want to leave a hundred with me or leave your kids? Most people are saying, yeah, you can keep the kids. And it doesn't mean that they're poor parents. It just shows you how important their money is to them. So this topic of raising money is one that people throw around as, oh, yeah, anybody can do it. And. I think you made a very interesting point in kind of the pre-call on this one with people see you one way. And when you go out into the marketplace and you're saying, hey, I am doing this thing. Don't you want to lend your money to me? If they see you as something else, they aren't going to lend your money to you because you're not the expert. And Uh I think it's probably pretty prudent that they don't. But with that said, I mean, you're kind of signaling that there were some things that didn't go all that well on this deal. And so, you know, this is multifamily missteps. I'd love to hear what you would have wish somebody would have told you before you got into this deal so that they don't make the same mistakes or missteps that you made along your journey. So if tell me all that you're willing to tell.
0: (laughs) All right. So I think probably the first one is that teams change and that's Okay. Um, I was actually talking to James Kandasmi. I hope I said his last name right. And he was saying I that.
1: that me. <laughs>
0: oh, Kandasami. Okay. So. It's
1: hard. Yeah. yeah it is hard.
0: is hard. I said the right letters.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> but um, he was saying that when they're putting their team together, everybody comes in in an LLC so that if you have to get divorced, it's easier. So he wouldn't have had that response if m- morphing teams was not something that does, in fact, happen. Mm-hmm.
1: Thousand percent.
0: And we also learned that you don't just want one or two people to be thought of as the people that are gonna bring in all the capital. Because that's so before you
1: go to that point, I, I wanna I wanna drop a pin in the old one because I, I'm so curious. So structure wise, and most people won't talk deal structure, structure wise, you guys created a new LLC for mm-hmm. the single purpose entity to own this property. And Everybody was a member of that uh-huh. for the original team. Uh-huh. And then when people didn't want to participate anymore, there was a challenge in having to like move them out and so on. Is that kind of how we're set up
0: or break it down for me? Okay. So for the team that was taking the deal down originally was what there were five LLCs. Mm-hmm. Jason and I counted count as one and then four left which left Jason and I. And then we replaced with three new. And I don't know exactly how that went down because our lawyer took care of it. Okay, But I think that that's kind of what James was getting at was that when it's set up as LLC participants, it's easier to pull off and replace than if you're dealing with individual, like individuals in the team.
1: A lot of people want to be profitable multifamily operators but lack the knowledge, deal flow, experience and capital to be successful. They often try to overcome these challenges out of order, slowing or eliminating their ability to get the next deal done. We have developed a framework that allows them to gain the knowledge they need to find profitable deals. When they use our system, they create time and location freedom as well as the generational wealth they desire for their family. The Multifamily Kickstart Program has proven to be the fastest way to establish credibility and build a profitable apartment portfolio. Hop over to Jerome Myers.co to find out more. Wow. Do so, you know how the bill got paid for the lawyer to do that work? Because that's always interesting.
0: I know that money's been sent to the lawyer. <laughs>
1: okay. I. It's always so what happens from time to time when that hap- when people are going through that is they will talk the people who are exiting some the people who are staying want to make them pay for it and the people who want to exit are saying well we're in a business everybody needs to share in this cost and so it, it really gets nitpicky on the way out because as you said it's like a divorce the people who had all the great intentions and the goodwill don't exactly extend that on the way out a lot of the time so okay so that's Number one is well, the and I think, can change.
0: So as, as just kind of going back to the goodwill piece of it. So there were members that left that had brought in investors and it was a 506B. So those investors needed to go with those members anyway. But in my heart of hearts, those investors were never our investors. And so even if it had been a 506C, I still think that those investors should have gone with the members that left.
1: Roger that. So, and, But, you know, it's funny, our investors, their investors, my investors, your investors. I I always beat the drum. People, last time I checked, slavery was over in America, right? Like, we don't own any of these folks. And if they like the opportunity and they like the operator and they want to put their money there, then I think they get that choice, right? And I don't think a person gets... Compensated Now, mind you, we started this episode with capital raisings hard, but I don't think everybody gets compensated every time somebody places a dollar, although people want to do that. They, there are people who want to put boundaries around who their people are and who gets paid for what. So I, I hear you loud and clear. And I think you're your approach keeps you from being seen as somebody who's greedy or trying to take advantage of others. So I, 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 I I see where you're coming from for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, and it was for us, it was different too because it was a 506B and we didn't really have a relationship with those investors. But at the same time, we were in another deal that we were looking to get into. And Kristen Ray was the one that we had talked to and she was bringing us in. And I remember getting a phone call from her and her saying, you know, I, I want you to know that I'm leaving this deal. And she told me why. And she said, you know, it's your decision. If you want to leave your money in the steel, that's up to you. But this is why I'm leaving. Mm -hmm. And we wound up not investing in that. And I have like 100% respect for her because what a difficult conversation to have. Um, She's such
1: a sweet lady. She's got such a good heart. I like her a lot.
0: Yeah, but it was. um, And I think that just having that experience as passive investors has changed the way that I feel like, or maybe not changed, but it influenced the way that I believe that we'll always do capital raising. And when there are those kinds of switch outs and morphs in the team, as far as like being vocal and transparent and letting investors know what's going on and letting them make their decisions. Mm-hmm.
1: So, Transparency is the name of the game if you want to have trust. There, There is no way around that. Okay, so yeah. teams change and investors may leave if the team changes. What the, what's next? You were going to the next one. I cut you off.
0: So yeah, I don't even remember what my train of thought was. So we we switched out and we wound up getting Frank Petalano on he was he had already agreed to help to help in some different capacities. He was gonna take on some investor relations. He was gonna try and help us raise some capital. He was gonna do some other board work, you know, the other roles that he needed to play. And it was really when he came on and it was like all of a sudden there was somebody raising capital and doing these things, and we were like, holy night. And so at that point in time, I mean, Jason and I had never raised before and we had like family coming in. So we were at like a quarter of a million from family. <laughs> um, but it was at that point, it was like this kind of competition because Frank's a little competitive too. And he's like, so uh, how much are you raising? Where are you at? Where are you at? And so then it was like, putting some pressure on us. And this was really the cool thing because Jason, yes, he's an engineer. He's had his PhD in chemical engineering since he was 26. I mean, people look at Jason and they think smart guy engineer, but at the same time, everybody has known that he's had a real estate side hustle. They know he's had single family. They know that his family did residential multi. Like they know that he knows real estate. So when he went to ask people for funds, they didn't see him as, oh no, you're just an engineer. Yes, they see him as an engineer, but they also see him as someone that knows about real estate. And so that was a huge thing. And we've got some other people that I've met along the way, and I've told a little bit about just what it's like to raise capital and that it is hard. And we did raise over three, three quarters of a million dollars. I mean, we did amazing. (laughs) But it was, it really comes down to how do people see us first? When people say, oh, yeah, Jason's an engineer, they don't generally say he's just an engineer. And when people look at me, they don't generally say, oh, she's just a teacher. Because we've made sure that we've positioned ourselves as people that also do real estate or that we do real estate equally as well as what people consider our primary occupations to be. Because that, that's, a, that's a real big deal.
1: So how have you done that? Because I think a lot of people are defined by a thing, right? This is their identity and typically it's their occupation. So has there been any intentionality around how you talk about your work or is there some specific branding? Like how, how does one do that? Because I think it's a pretty challenging task to
0: overcome. Yeah, no, absolutely. One of the big things that we wanted to do was have a thought leadership platform. And so we did that through the podcast, through doing virtual summits. Um, And just recently, I guess when COVID kind of hit, making sure that our summits were going. And then on May 1 of 2020, we decided we were going to do like webinars or podcasts or something. And that was when that started. And then um, this past January, we decided we were going to start a meetup. And so we do a virtual meetup. And it was just like making sure we were positioning ourselves out there so the people saw us and they heard from us. And during all of the summits and during the podcast, you know, you learn a lot from listening to people and interacting with people. And so by making sure that we were putting ourselves around experts, we got to learn a ton. And so it it just it, it's kind of like tennis. You play somebody who's better than you, you're gonna get better. If you surround yourself with experts in the real estate investing space, you're going to get more knowledgeable and you're going to get better. And so that was, I think, the one of the biggest things that really helped us was the proximity to experts and just learning as much as we could along the way.
1: Wow. And I think that's really smart because the intentionality around that, right? I'm going to be in the room with people who know more than what I know. One, you have to be humble enough to admit that. And then two... To actually take that, to take the steps, to be courageous enough to go there, where people, you know, people know that you don't know. I think a lot of people run away from that. It's like, uh, yeah, I don't want anybody to know what I don't know. And I mean, I think that's the only way you get better. So, good I to you for taking that step. So, number two was surrounding yourself and you know, you raised the money, you brought in some reinforcements. And I mean, these are some players, Frank, Kristen. I mean, these are real people. We've had them on the show before. So it's really exciting to hear that the community is helping each other. Is there anything else that you learned in taking down the 72 unit that you wish you knew before you got into the deal and that would help our listeners?
0: Oh, yeah. Do not do your webinar before you have your lending. We thought we had our lending down. And so we went ahead and did the webinar. Nope. We didn't actually have a loan product until November. So yay, Lima won.
1: (laughs) So, whoa. Yeah. You did the webinar. You told them what the terms of the loan were and everything changed.
0: Yeah. And it didn't just change once or twice or three times. It changed many times. Oh, no. Yeah. No. When I say things oh, no. got rough and tough, rough and tumble and scary, they they got rough and tumble and scary. It was okay. bad.
1: <laughs> oh no. So, wow. All right. So when when do you, when did you actually feel like you had lending? Right? Because people might get a term sheet and they feel like, oh yeah, it's done. But you're yeah. saying, no wait. When when is the actual you can check the box and say, okay, we've got our lending, it's solidified. Here's what's happening.
0: I don't think anything is
1: actually solidified until you close. Well, you can't wait to do your webinar. I'm not, well, I mean, you can't close, wait so. for that.
0: But I mean, like, just because you have your loan app in doesn't really mean anything.
1: Before you can put the app in, you got to send money. <laughs> you got to pay your origination fee.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's just so many things that can happen. And I think the coolest analogy I heard, and it was from somebody with it, was... Um, previously on the team and he, he called it like the bus. So we think we had a loan product and we all get on the bus and we're going down the road thinking we got this thing going down and all of a sudden the road ends and we fall off the cliff (laughs) (laughs) and then we get on another bus. and We think it's going to happen again. And there's another cliff and we get on another bus and there's another cliff. And it was just like, Holy night. And it just, it was, it was tough. It was tough. And I wanna say that it was November, maybe the beginning of November. No, yes. It went really fast once we finally had a loan product. Because I wanna say it was like thirty days from beginning to end once we finally had a loan product. I mean, um but it was it was scary to then. And and there was still like even on the day we closed, I don't know if I'm even supposed to say this, but there were seven versions that came out that day. Seven versions of what? The HUD? Some something. I just know that there were seven versions the closing docs. Yes. Seven versions of the closing docs. And it was just like, holy night. So again, God bless Frank. He just wired money and said, here, we're going to get this thing across the finish line. And here's in case we have issues. It was like an extra, I don't know, less than 100, but more than 50. I mean, just extra here, just in case. (laughs)
1: Love it, love it, love it. it. And so now why was this so important that you guys got this thing across the finish line? Because you contract this thing pretty aggressively.
0: Because at the end of the day, people don't remember how hard it was or how much you cried or whether or not you almost had a nervous breakdown. They cared, did you close or not? And so that was kind of the first thing that we thought of. And Jason and I personally had $100,000 that went hard day one. (laughs) So we had our own money in the deal on the line from the very beginning. So we were really vested into it. But then I just keep thinking about, like, it was Dugan that said it. He was like, at the end of the day, nobody cares about all the other crap, Angel. They care. Did you close or not?
1: Wise counsel. (laughs) Wise counsel. And now you're going to operate the deal. Everything's going to go as planned and you're going to have a big exit and you're going to be able to say, I told you, I told you so.
0: Is it going to go as planned? Probably not. (laughs) (laughs)
1: We'll bring you back when you get some more good stories to share with folks. But the fact of the matter is you got the thing across the finish line. You found out who are some really great partners. You've built a relationship that's going to last a really, really long time. And what more can you ask for? I mean, I think that's the whole point of the business. The business is to be in a space and a place where you grow your network. You do good with your investments and you make a real impact in the community. So, and that's what your heart is. And, you know, Frank's involved. He's definitely one of those folks as well. So final question, what words of wisdom do you have for our listeners?
0: When it gets tough, it's okay. And things aren't going to go like you think they're going to go. And that's actually normal. Uh, (laughs) It's going to be scary and it's going to get crazy. And I think One of the biggest, best, biggest and best pieces of advice I've gotten recently is yes, it's hard, but how much does it start? How much does it cost to start a subway? I know it seems really random. I'm like, I don't know, a million dollars. No, it costs like $300,000 to start a subway. How much is the property you just purchased? How many subways is that? I'm like, 17, 18. He's like, yeah, that's right. You're running 17 or 18 subways now. And it was like, oh, wow. And it, it just helped me really put into perspective. Number one, why things were so crazy. (laughs) But number two, why it takes a different level of response when dealing with the business, because that's what you purchased was a business.
1: Apartment building business, multifamily business. That's what we're buying. It just happens to have some real estate attached. Angel, thank you so much for fighting through the head cold or respiratory infection or whatever you have going on and giving us these jewels because I think so many people avoid talking about this stuff. And it doesn't matter how many times you've done it. There are always challenges with getting a deal across the finish line. And to do it with new people and old people and all the other things that you had to endure and encounter on this one is a testament to your commitment to getting that outcome. And for the rest of your career, you will always be able to tell this story as the one that Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong and you still got it done. So it, it absolutely should build your confidence on the go forward. So thank you so much.
0: Thank you.
1: To the listeners, the pack's with you. We'll talk soon. You made it all the way to the end. So that means you love this episode of Multifamily Missteps. I need a favor from you the only way this show grows is if more people know about it so do me a favor take a screenshot and post it on your favorite social media platform and tag me in it who knows we may have you as the next guest i look forward to sharing the episode with you next week